Hello and welcome to this week's security seminar from Sirius at Purdue University. Our speaker this week is Professor Bruno Ribeiro, who is a CS professor in the computer science department here at Purdue. Bruno. Thank you, Joel. Uh, thanks for inviting me for, uh, to give a talk at Sirius. Um, so here I am going to move forward. I hope that's okay. Um, Welcome, and so today I'll talk about predicting what users will do next. So if you, um, if you bear with me, let me go through first a general introduction. So here we have an agent that is walking around the world, right? We have, uh, for instance, this agent is walking around Lafayette looking for a coffee shop and then goes maybe to a restaurant or is trying to buy some tablet in, uh, in a store like Amazon or eBay or Best Buy. Or maybe it's browsing for music. It's building a music list and it's listening to songs in this, music, in this, in this website. So what these uh, problems have in common is that once the user reaches a place, you want to know what the user will do next. And so this is uh, the general motivation. So for instance, online shopping, we have, uh, let's say, here, tablets and laptops, and you can go to, to one of them, let's say an e-reader, and then after you click here, maybe you go check uh, uh, how much it costs on Barnes & Noble. It's a different um, equipment uh, gift card. So these are the users browsing these websites, and, and uh, so the motivation here is to predict given that way, where they are and what they have done that we know what they will do next. So this is the general problem is called predicting user trajectories. Okay? So this is the user trajectory. And the security motivation for this would be, uh, for instance, you have some access, access patterns. We have a, a regular user who is accessing some files in, uh, in his company and a malicious user that has a different pattern of accessing this, uh, these files, right? And you want to separate or group the users that are regular users against the users that are malicious, that they have some weird or different uh, type of uh, access pattern. So you just want to group users. Another scenario is uh, where you have a regular user and a VIP user Okay, and the VIP user has access to some other documents. And the patterns that you see from a regular user in your company should be different than the ones that you see from the CEO. But then this account is compromised, and now the regular user is starting to behave like the CEO, get it, trying to get access to this uh, important information about the company. And that's when you realize that the user changed behavior. It's not like a regular user anymore. It's very different. It behaves more like the CEO, and now you can uh, identify this anomalous behavior. Okay? So there are the two motivations in, in security for this. And a more personal motivation, which often is why we do research, um, is uh, I, I had uh, an ebook, and I was uh, sharing this ebook with someone else. Uh, 
And whenever I was browsing, so this is the type of books that I would, would appear on my recommendation. It's usually science books. And then, and then uh, because I was sharing with someone, I would receive a lot of recommendations uh, of books that I was not too interested in. And, and what was upsetting to me was that I, was, I, was, I would keep browsing the books that interest me, and the, the, uh, and the website would never really learn that I am very different. My trajectory is very different from this other person that was sharing the ebook with me. The other person would uh, do a trajectory over other very different types of books. And the, 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 the machine learning algorithm that the company was using is, was not keeping up with this understanding of the trajectories. So, so here is me uh, browsing, and of course I'm not browsing the other books. Um, so, uh, and then uh, when I, I, I did, I started looking into more into the problem, and a problem that I was already interested, of course, uh, but there were no scalable big data methods to predict this type of navigation, this type of trajectories. And I was surprised, and that was uh, 2015, surprised at the fact that in 2015 we still didn't have any scalable algorithms for this type of uh, trajectory prediction. So, so th there are reasons for that, and I'll show you some of the challenges uh, regarding learning user trajectories, specifically because of user behavior. And that uh, also ties back to security, uh, the, the way that people access files and the way that they behave in a company it's quite complex. So let me give you an example. So one of the first challenges here is account for stationarity. What, that, what is that? Uh, so you can think the trajectory of the user is a mixture of what we call uh, stationary processes. So what, what's a stationary process is we can think of a, a process or a stochastic process or a behavior, right, that does not depend on more clock time. So if you are browsing on, uh, on Amazon in the morning for a computer, or if you're browsing on Amazon in the afternoon for a computer, your browsing behavior would be the same, right, because you are trying to do the same thing. So that doesn't depend on more clock time, and that's what stationarity means. And also the same thing, if you're browsing today, you would have the same behavior as if you were browsing tomorrow, right? It's the same behavior. So that's what the stationary process, uh, uh, the defi the, there is a more precise mathematical definition, but I'll give you just the intuition behind that. So here we have a process, right, in which you are navigating over documents, A, and process B, that you're navigating over documents. And if you think about how users behave, you, you see that uh, what they actually do is they, at some point in time, they start behaving like A, and then another point in time, they still behave like A for a while, and then they quit the system, right? They stop, they go home, or they, they close the website. And now they are uh, behaving like process B. It's a different process. So your, your behavior online, or your behavior in general, is a mixture of different, of this, processes that, uh, that don't, don't really depend on exactly the date that you started. Some processes do, but a lot of the processes that we're interested in are not, do not depend on the exact time, what clock time that you started things. So the second uh, challenge is evolving behavior over time, right? 
so users may not be time heterogeneous, uh, may be time heterogeneous. And what that means uh, is that over time you may, uh, for instance, if you like music, you uh, may start here uh, in 2010, you may like classic rock a lot, uh, and US pop, and then you're listening to this uh, classic rock, and, and, and you alternate between classic rock and, and pop. So, uh, so this behavior over time is changing, and maybe you add a bit of heavy metal, and then you go back to pop, and etc. cetera. Uh, the same thing with, uh, in the other case here. What, one interesting aspect is, is that here, time heterogeneity doesn't mean that you will not go back to the same behavior later in the future. You may go back to the same behavior over the in the future, but that can take a long time, okay? So, what that, uh, so you can think of an evolving trajectory. Okay, so uh, an interesting point. So this is uh, annotated, actually annotated data. This is real data from some users at LastFM. And, and, and it's interesting that the user here has US pop, you see? US pop is interested and then start listening to classic rock and then gives up on the pop and then just listens to classic rock for after that. Another one, that is uh, one of the more interesting actually, was a mixture of heavy metal, pop, and classic rock, and then switched to Korean pop, and never went back just listening to Korean pop. I don't know, when was, uh, maybe that's when Psy uh, came, came out, I'm not sure. Okay, so uh, I may have been the last person to l learn about this. I had a friend who like was forced to Anyways, so here we have uh, uh, some, the, the third challenge, which is that these trajectories may be transient. So let's say that you go through phases when you listen to music, or you go through, when you think about job, the behavior of people accessing files on a company, when they change job title, they change their access behavior, right? So uh, you expect, for instance, uh, if you, uh, maybe you like music, you like uh, 60s music, and then you are just listening to 60s music, and you are three years in this uh, span that you are really interested in 60s music, but then you decide to change, as we saw, people sometimes they change very, to very different styles. And, and you, you, you now you have four years of heavy metal that you're really more interested in heavy metal than anything else. And after that, you go to your next musical phase. And what is important in, in the, the transiency of these processes is that you will never go back to the 60s, okay? So you are done with that, and now you move, move, you move on. That makes the learning of the trajectory is incredibly difficult, right? Imagine that you have something that people are doing and they will never do again. And, uh, and in the other case where we have, for instance, uh, here, evolving trajectories, right? So you're evolving over time. So it's hard for you to learn what they are doing if it's not recurring. It's it tends to evolve and, and continuously adapt. So let me uh, show you now what the data would look like for this type of uh, uh, problems. So the data is a trajectory. So we have a user and we have what they access and when, okay? A, file A, file B, file C, and this is the observed trajectory data. So this is all we have. All we have is this. 
And what I'm going to uh, briefly explain is that in, in machine learning and data mining, what we'll do is observing this data, we will come up with a model, and it don't have to be, uh, I'm, I'm not going to explain exactly how the model works, but you come up with a model that will learn from this data and then make predictions and group users according to their behavior, okay? So what I'm going to talk about now is uh, uh, how, the, the, how to come up with these models. What are the models and, and how these models work? Okay, so there are a bunch of naive solutions to the problems if you are familiar with them. Uh, so for instance, uh, matrix decomposition, non-negative ne non matrix factor factorization, or, or, or singular value decomposition, you have multiple ways of decomposing this uh, user uh, product matrices. Like, so you have a user, you have a product, and that's often how naively you would recommend products to users, okay? And, and these are, are uh, mostly done in uh, the general idea is to do a low rank decomposition over this matrix. The problem with this approach is that it assumes that uh, things are homogeneous in time, so the users are not changing their behavior, and their behavior tends to recur. There is no transiency in, the, in your behavior. Uh, and another approach is uh, the tensor decompositions, where you, one of the, the, so a tensor is a, multi-dimensional matrix. So if you understand what a matrix is, you basically understand what a tensor is. It's just that you have one more dimension. So a, a vector has one dimension, a matrix will have two dimensions, and a tensor has a third dimension. You can think of it like a cube, okay, with data. So one of the dimensions can be time, right? So you, have, you can have user, you can have product, and you can have time. Uh, what is interesting about uh, tensor decomposition with the sign mode is that you can, you'll see at the end that you cannot recover hidden behavior from stationary processes. So the fact that you are, today, your behavior is similar to, the, to the, your behavior tomorrow will, will make it very hard for the tensor to learn your intrinsic properties of your trajectory. Something that you may have learned, heard uh, about uh, are hidden Markov models. Who here has heard about hidden Markov models? Okay, so we have a few. Uh, so hidden Markov models, uh, the idea is to model a trajectory. Uh, were very used uh, a few years ago in uh, learning how people write and, and also learning uh, speech, speech recognition. So these models will model just a single type of trajectory. It, it, they are not meant for people with different objectives, right? We have the CEO, we have the regular users, we have the supervisors. So these will be uh, different types of trajectory and these models are not really meant for this type of uh, data. Okay, so these are the naive solutions that will not quite work well. And uh, recently, there have been a number of uh, Solu other solutions, uh, better solutions to the problem. And, and one of the most interesting ones is called the uh, latent Markov embedding. It uh, was published at, at KDD uh, in 2013. Uh, 
Uh, and there are many other variants of that, multi-core latent mark of embedding and, and personalized ranking latent mark of embedding, which is the fastest from our uh, simulations with real data, it, it seems to be the fastest and most accurate of, uh, for trajectory prediction that, uh, among all of them. was published last year. Uh, there are other methods like factorizing machines. Uh, I, I'm not going to go into the details of how these methods work. I'll just say very vaguely that latent Markov embedding, the idea is just to project your data into a, a, a latent space, and then you learn a Markov chain over that uh, latent space. Okay, so one of the common issues for this, all these tools is that they are too slow for large data sets. Okay, so you cannot learn over uh, larger scale data. So, the insight that, uh, of, of uh, our work here is that we understanding the constraining, uh, the constraint dynamics of the, the trajectory is key to predict the future. So if I knew, if I could see where the agent is, then it would be easier for me to predict where the agent will be next because, you see, if you are in Lafayette or if you are on a given website on a certain page, there is a, there are, it's hard for you to jump to some other place, right? For instance, if you are in Lafayette, you cannot have dinner in New York City. That's very unlikely. Uh, the same thing in a page. So if you are on a page uh, where you have a, a certain group, it's hard for you to immediately after go to something completely different, right? So, but what we see is just what the user did, right? So he was listening to Madonna and then uh, went to listen to Daft Punk. And what we want, we'd like to do is from this uh, trajectory, observed trajectory, we want to learn what were the constraints. What would be, given that you did, most users did this type of transitions, right, from one artist to another artist, or from one uh, business to another business, or from one file to another file, you want to know what is the kind of space or constraint space that they were living in that forced them to, to do this type of navigation. And that's what we are going to learn from data. We are going to learn this constraint space. Problem is, the trajectories is really all we see. We don't see the constraint space. We don't see the space. So, and that's uh, what we are going to do is we start with the data and then we reverse engineer the data to get to the constraints and the way that people are navigating over these constraints. Okay, uh, so for the experts, uh, it's, it's a, a, the idea is to learn a navigation process over a network using uh, non-parametric based methods. The learning is 100% automatic, so you just give the data and the method will give you the results. You don't have to, there are no parameters that you need, you need to tune. Uh, no domain knowledge, you don't need to understand anything about the data, just throw the data at the model, the model will create uh, the constraints and the navigation. And uh, this work uh, is a joint work with Figueredo, uh, Almeida, and Falutzos. It will be uh, presented at WWW uh, this year, in August, if I'm not mistaken.
Okay. So let me give you some more details of how this works. So the, 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 the basic idea started with a um, with the idea of random walks over random environments. And, and that uh, idea really, uh, the first paper on this was in, if I'm not mistaken, 1934 from a Russian mathematician describing a model for the DNA, for the formation of DNA, or, or copying in DNA. And, and this type of uh, analysis gave us percolation theory. So if you know percolation theory, it came from this analysis of random walks or random environments. So the, the, the constraint that I was talking about would be a graph with vertices. The vertices are the products or the files. And the edges are how likely it is that you, given the, the objective that you have right now, that you would from one file go to the next file, okay, to another file. Or if you go from one business to another business. Or that you go from one song to another song. For instance, what would be this uh, constraint, uh, this uh, uh, conditional behavior would be, for instance, you love heavy metal. So if you're listening to Metallica, then probably the next one that you might be Iron Maiden. But the, the, the link weight or the, 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 the edge to Madonna is very unlikely, has very low weight, very low probability that you go from Metallica to Madonna. You'll be surprised what you see in the data, actually, which is very interesting. But it, it, indeed, uh, it's very unlikely that you do that. Now, we have such a graph, and this graph defines one layer of these hidden constraints. So if you like heavy metal, then you have one graph over the whole uh, set of songs that describe how people that like heavy metal will walk on this network, okay? Now, if you like something else, if you like pop, then there is another graph that is uh, how people walk on this, uh, this other graph. And this graph, the way that we'll do it is to say that these are, these are created randomly. These graphs are, uh, the generative model of this will be that the, these edges are distributed, the, the edge weight or the, the strength of an edge will be distributed according to a gamma distribution. Uh, it's, it's just a way to probabilistically describe what you are seeing, so we can reverse engineer it, okay? Now, the way that uh, we are going to work then is to have, let's say, Alice, she really prefers graph G1, let's say heavy metal, and then she does a random walk, if you're familiar with page rank, Anyone familiar with PageRank? Have you heard about PageRank? So PageRank is a random walk, and then you randomly jump to a, another node. Okay. So what we are going to do is uh, similar to that. In in that for a graph G, G1, let's say heavy metal, uh, then she will be walking around the songs according to a random walk determined by the probability that you walk on a given edge is determined by the edge weight. Okay. And then, after a while, Alice gets bored and then randomly jumps to another thing that she likes. Let's say pop, right? And then she likes pop, or if she likes other type of heavy metal, she can also jump to other type of heavy metal. So this is the model. This is what we are trying to learn. Okay, so we give a probabilistic description of this model and then try to learn the parameters of this model. 
even more details. So what we'll call the environment is a mixture of this latent structure that we are trying to learn and a navigation process on top of this structure. The navigation process is given is a random walk with jumps. And then what we assume is that users behave like this, so there is a latent structure, there is a navigation process, and what we see is these trajectory segments, right? This, we are going from Britney Spears to something else, a metallic, and to Iron Maiden, and et cetera. And now we want to learn back what the user preferences are. And the preferences are, are over the environments are learned ass assuming a Drishile process over the, the different environments. So you can have, what, what is interesting about assuming a Drishile process is that you can have, the, the method automatically learns how many of these environments or these constraints or these interests that the user have exist automatically. You don't have to tell that in advance, okay? Um, and then you have, whenever you have a jump from this random surface, so you're randomly surfing over this uh, network, or let's say heavy metal, you change not only the node, but you also change the environment. And you go to another preferred environment according to the probability. So the 0 0.3 and 0 0.6, there are the probabilities that, uh, that Alice will jump to one of these other environments. Maybe it's trash metal, maybe it's pop, maybe it's something else that she prefers, okay? So, how do we learn the model? Even more details. Uh, we use Gibbs sampling, and, and the, the idea uh, to make it fast is to use stochastic gradient descent for fast convergence in mini batches. Uh, so, we use a split and merge heuristic to learn the Dishle process, and, um, and a, a heuristic for learning trajectories. Uh, over fixed size renewal points that makes this uh, uh, learning process extremely fast. Let me show you the results with uh, real data sets. And uh, first I'll show you the data sets. Uh, we have uh, three types of data here. Music streaming services, where users are listening to songs. Uh, Location-based social networks like Foursquare and Brightkite. I don't know if you're familiar with Foursquare. Uh, you choose, which is uh, something similar to Amazon. People are, or Best Buy, people are clicking on products. And yes, which is also a, a kind of an internet radio station. Okay? Uh, the largest data set is Less FM groups, where we have 86 million transitions, different transitions, uh, different uh, jumps between different artists, and uh, 1.6 million artists in this data with uh, about 15,000 uh, users. Okay, so how does this, this idea or this method that we'll do in this approach? So what we'll see is the, the, what we are looking here is in the x-axis, the running time, how, how long it takes to learn this model over the data. And in the y-axis is is a measure of accuracy, how accurate you are in predicting what the next thing that the user will do, okay? So the best possible approach would be at uh, the left uh, upper corner, okay? You learn very fast and your accuracy is very good. At the bottom is the worst, at the, the bottom right is the worst, where it's going to be very slow 
and your accuracy is not good. So our approach, what is interesting is that our approach can learn the model in up to uh, 16 hours. So the, the one thing to notice is that the x-axis is in log scale. So here is one day, and then you have here 10 days, and this is over 10 days. And we could not get the competing methods to finish in 10 days, just trying to run over the same data set, not even the smallest one. One that uh, our method takes one hour, it takes more than 10 days for the competing methods. And uh, multi-LME, our prediction is that it would take six years to learn over the largest data set. And, and so that's, that's one of the reasons why we don't see a trajectory prediction in commercial services is because it's, the methods haven't been, my, my hypothesis is that the methods have been uh, fast enough. But our method now is fast enough. So uh, to be fair, right, maybe, maybe they are slow, but they are very good. It could be that the accuracy is better, uh, just that they are slow. But uh, what is interesting is that if we, if we cut these other data sets, we subsample them, and then, try, and then feed them to, the, to our method and to the other competing methods, we'll see that uh, our method, which we call tribe flow, is uh, still significantly faster. Uh, in this case here, 46 times faster, and always more accurate. It's not only faster, but it is more accurate than what's out there. So, and this is uh, basically their best uh, competing approach is 46 times uh, slower. Our method is 46 times faster and 23% more accurate. So, another interesting aspect, uh, I was talking about uh, tensor decomposition, right? If you think about the tensor uh, where the products are one of the modes, the users are in the other mode, and the third mode is time, okay, so it's this cube. And then the tensor decomposition, we decompose this into uh, three matrices. Uh, this is an example of Tucker decomposition. And a matrix in the middle there, that is a ma matrix that can mixture, mixture the different uh, matrix, other matrices. So if we try to learn using tensors, the hidden structure of this data, the real hidden structure of the data. So we have here generated data that is a, coming from a stationary process. And we use uh, one of the um, one very good method for learning uh, over large data sets, which is TriMine. And we see that this is the truth. Uh, so the the y-axis is the, the the type of the type of behavior that the the, the process has. And the x-axis are the users. So there, we have 10 users with one type of behavior, 10 users with another type, and etc. So we have uh, five different types. And, and then we, we make them pr do, perform their trajectories over different points in time, right? Like you, like you, you do it today, maybe another user that's similar to you will do uh, that trajectory tomorrow. Uh, so if you try to apply tensor decomposition, you see that you don't recover the behavior of the users very well. But with tribe flow, we can recover it quite well. Now, um, 
There is another benefit. So one of the benefits of our model, and the, the idea that you're modeling these constraints and the navigation over this constrained space, is, is better sense making. So here we have four square data. And, and in, in general, what uh, you would do is to, to have kind of a, a, a Gaussian or, or some distribution of spatial distribution over your data to say, well, if you went in Lafayette, then you're probably going to go around the area, right? That area for the next, uh, for the next point of interest. Our method learns this constraint automatically from the data. And what is interesting is that in, the method outputs something like this. It tells us that domestic flight, so it, 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 it appointed us to a group, to a constraint, a spatial constraint, that are airports in the US with uh, four square data. And these airports are domestic airports. So if you eat a hamburger in LaGuardia, maybe you, eat some, you have a drink, a Coke, in, uh, uh, in Indianapolis. You see? It's not spatial. It's learned that there, is, there are some places that have this connection, this constraint connection, which are these airports, local airports. Moreover, it also found some other uh, examples. I'll give you one. Uh, Pacific airports and the US and U UK hubs connecting uh, Asia to, uh, uh, to Europe and the US. So if you have some uh, food, McDonald's in New York City, JFK, it will predict that your next meal will be in Beijing. Okay? So another interesting aspect of, of, of this approach is to understand uh, the data over multiple resolutions. So here, this data here that I was showing to you, uh, users were liking, they like classic rock and they, they like Korean pop and etc. This is automatically learned by the method. Okay, so this classification and the way in which people are changing things, you can see that uh, the method can tell you when they decide to switch from pop to classic rock. And, and these are the, 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 an example, some examples of some of these hidden uh, networks or hidden uh, constraints that it learned. So one hidden constraint, if you like uh, some movie soundtracks, then you have this uh, uh, composers that uh, of, of, of soundtracks, movie soundtracks. And if you like trash metal, then you will go over these uh, uh, different bands. I did not do that, the student did, because I don't really know many of these classifications. So, uh, so Iron Maiden, Slayer, and etc. So if you, you learn that these are, should, these are constrained because users tend to do trajectory over these uh, specific items together, okay? We have 90s Rock, Nirvana, Green Day, and, and, and Electro House, which is a very specific, actually it divided in many different types of house. And what I found online was that this seems to be Electro House. And this uh, uh, is all automatically uh, done. So if you have any questions, I'm happy to answer the questions. Uh, I'm open to questions. Any questions? Or like if you have ideas about type of type, types of data or applications to this type of method, yes. 
So uh, the model over here seems I did. I did. Uh, so model seems to learn uh, by studying the trajectories of uh, where the user goes. Don't you think it will raise privacy concerns with certain users? Privacy concern. Uh, you see, in data mining, we have a different view. We want the data. <laughs> Uh, regarding uh, learning, how can you learn this privately, right? So uh, an interesting aspect of this trajectory learning, and, I, and I, I have worked on this before, so I know that it, it mi you might be able to identify, is that you don't really need to tell me anything about the item that the users are, are visiting. You just say it's item number 32. You can totally anonymize the, the item number, and you can anonymize the user. And then I'll give you, well, item 32, 44, uh, 55 are together, and user 155 tends to go over these items together. Uh, of course, if you, you know that you can always de-anonymize this type of data, but it doesn't really need features of the user, let's say the age and, or, or any other, or where they live, and et cetera. It just uh, learns over this abstract concept. Any other questions? Yes. Uh, I want to know what's, uh, what's your intuition behind that is faster? Oh, yeah, the microphone there. Uh, I wonder what's the intuition behind your matter is faster than others because from my point, I'm not very familiar with all the machine learning okay. algorithms, but to me it's like uh, you are trying to find some latent uh, factors, while the others matters, some of them are also trying to use some embedding matters to project to the low dimension uh, yeah. space, so I wonder right. why you your methods are much faster than that others. That is a very accurate description of what they're doing, right? So we if you, you can put mo a lot of the machine learning methods as trying to learn latent factors. And we are indeed trying to learn latent factors. But there is one interesting aspect. If you give more structure to the problem, then learning tends to be easier. Oh. The more degrees of freedom you have, it, the more the space that you have to search, it becomes a bit harder. And, and the, the interesting thing is that if you're if you have a good insight of what the structure is like, you will actually learn better than you would if you had something that was uh, more generic. And, and so the, the big insight here is that users, when they are doing these trajectories, they are doing over this constrained space. And, and, that, and the way they are navigating, we determine that way to be very simple. It's like a random walk. The hard, the hard part is just to learn what the, the constraint looks like, okay? Uh, while oftentimes uh, what we'll do is to have the, uh, the, the, the process in which they are navigating to be the complicated one and the space to be very simple. So we, we inverted the problem. We said the navigation is very simple. The space is a bit more complicated. And, 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 uh, and it seems to match very well the way that you would actually behave, right? It, it matches intuition of what, what the structure of the problem should be. If you're in Lafayette, then you have some cons special constraints that you, you can't get around, and that will show up on, on your trajectory. But what's interesting is that the, the special constraint is not just spatial in the sense of uh, distance in miles. 
you saw the airports, right? If you are in an airport, your space constraints change. From the airport, you cannot go to Lafayette very easily, although it's closing distance, but it's much easier to go to New York City, right? So that is, uh, I think, the, the one of the, the reasons why our method is so much faster. Thank you. Any other questions? Any ideas of data or behavior that you would like to capture? Security behavior? Okay, well, I guess uh, there are no other questions. I'd like to thank you for your uh, time. And uh, I'm, I'm available offline also if you want to ask things off the microphone. Thank you. <laughs>